This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast, and I am your host for this week's episode, Paul Jaisley, filling in for the immortal Mike Rappin, but I'm not alone. I'm joined by two of the newest recruits to the Green Lantern Corps, Kate Scotchless. Hello. And Nick White. Hey. I was really hoping one of you would do the Green Lantern uh, oath after I gave you that introduction, but maybe we can add that <laughs> in post. You give me too much credit. Something, 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 no evil shall escape my sight. Um, yada, yada. Pluribus unum. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well done. <laughs> well, well, welcome. Um, and uh, hopefully this all goes smoothly. I always get a little nervous when Mike puts me in charge, uh, but I think we'll have a good episode. I'm excited to talk to you about our topic today, which is all about our Goodreads challenge. But before we get there, I've just been handed this sheet of paper from our legal department that says, Please ask the guests these following questions. Failure to do so may result in permanent banishment to the Phantom Zone. <laughs> Guess I got to ask, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate. I have been pretty good. I passed one of my big, like, crunch, awful deadlines. So the March was pretty, pretty rough here. And so on the other side of that, things are looking sunny. And I... In a few weeks here at the uh, end of the month, we'll finish 20th grade, which is very exciting <laughs> because that is the last of my required classes forevermore. Any classes I take from here on out are because I decide to take them or audit them is way more likely since I don't actually want to be required to do assignments. <laughs> uh, so that's very exciting, but also means that it is final project season. So looking forward to that uh, wrapping up soon. And meanwhile, have really enjoyed having the excuse to uh, read a bunch of comics for by being on this episode. So I good, finally good. started reading the some of the IRCB challenge books, which I hadn't jumped into yet because of just being busy. And it's been a blast. Yeah, yeah. Well, well good. I'm good. You're good. You're uh, here to talk about all that stuff. Uh, anything recently that's not on the challenge that you've uh, you've enjoyed? Well, enjoyed is a strong word, Paul. I did uh -oh. pick up while uh -oh. I was at the library getting my holds. There was, and you know how I'm eternally can trying to convince myself that I could get into manga. And I try, and I try, and I try. So I picked up one that looked interesting. It was a volume one that was just sitting there. Uh, since obviously I'm not here to spend uh, any time browsing indoors mm -hmm. in the library at the moment. Right. So it was King of Thorns, Volume 1 by um, Iwahara, and I can't pronounce this first name, but it's Tokyo Pop 2000, from 2003, and this is actually a reprinting from a few years later. But the premise is that there's these twin sisters that are infected with something called the Medusa virus, which slowly eats away at the body, and there's no cure, um, but one of the twins is selected to be cryogenically frozen with 159 other people until, until a cure is found. Hmm. So she gets frozen in the first few pages. And then at some point in the future, it's unclear when she wakes up to find herself in a very unfamiliar world. Something's gone wrong and there's violent monsters. And I'm just past the point where she wakes up and is running from monsters with these other people that are crawling out of their little capsules Am I going to finish it? I don't know. We'll see. It, it, it doesn't sound like that's a rhetorical question. It yeah, sounds like yeah. that question has an answer. And yeah. the answer is, is is actually no. So the premise sounded really cool. Like, I would watch this sci-fi movie. 
Um, but so far, the execution was kind of like, meh. Um, but I okay. would not take that. Manga readers, if you enjoy manga, never listen to me for manga recommendations <laughs> because there are beloved... Manga readers, if you enjoy manga, always listen to me for manga <laughs> There you go. Listen to Nick. Um, Please. <laughs> I, there are beloved series that I absolutely cannot get into and like critically acclaimed books that I was like, meh. So I think I just have a hard time with that particular medium. Um Sure. But that was the only thing that I tried outside of the books I specifically picked up for the challenge. Okay. How about you uh, guys? So, yeah, not a ringing endorsement, but uh, I'm sure someone yeah. out there might might be the audience cool for that Cool premise. Book. If other people yeah. are into it, cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it, when you said the title, I figured maybe it was like the manga adaptation of Mel Gibson's, like, The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> I would with read the that. With a title, like, King of Thorns. Entire thing. Oh, yeah. it's King of Thrones? <laughs> Uh, thorns. Yeah. No, I misspelled. It that. is thorns. Okay, uh, it is king. Of, okay, so yeah. Um, oh no, it's yeah. king of thorns, singular. I actually had it right all along. <laughs> okay. Oh no. Listen, the struggle is so yeah. real right now. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, um, Nick, uh, what about you? Anything you've read recently that stood out? Sure. So, uh, obligatory West Michigan weather watch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like most of the time, it's definitely, uh, I just looked at the um, the meter on the wall, and it's definitely a what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has been raining, not raining, 70 degrees, 40 degrees, really cold, super warm, open the windows, turn on the heat. Uh, yeah, let me <laughs> tell you how Grandma Kate's arthritis has been loving the last week in Michigan here with this. <laughs> can only imagine. Yeah. Very frustrating. And a roller coaster. It's it's been like desperately get in the basement, turn on both dehumidi- dehumidifiers, empty both of them every day. It's it's a lot. Uh if you uh, Michigan is great. Uh but that said, <laughs> there are plenty of other places that do not um present this uh, variety of issues. So, yeah, um beyond that, I will like Kate, I did read a lot. Of the challenge books, you might be thinking, "Gee, Nick, maybe you haven't gotten into this in the past. Like, what, what's like, what's powering you?" And and the answer to that is definitely like Utz Pub Mix as a snack, and <laughs> then <true>. Spite, <laughs> pure unadulterated Spite. So Mike was like, "Yeah, like if you're gonna be on this episode, please read some of the books." I was like, well, maybe we could change the episode to something else. He's like, no, this is what we're doing. Please read some of the books. I was like, fuck you. I'm going to read all of the books. That'll show them. That'll show them. Now, several (laughs) days later, several books later, I think Mike might have, like, tricked me with psychology mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. uh which i mean wouldn't be the first but we'll get into those later yeah yeah, yeah. uh on top of that i did read young hellboy number one written by mike mignola how young uh, are we talking this is like hellboy in like 47 so like he's found during world war ii so he's like i don't know like single digits at this point but okay. hellboy aging if, if you know anything about hellboy aging it's weird it's not i mean he's like a demon right so I want he's not school age Hellboy. like what was yeah. that uh online series of the like justice league that they're all like preschoolers oh god <laughs> yeah that's the Hellboy he's... i want yeah. well <laughs> it's very stylized so jl8 thank you cinco yeah 
it's super stylized. It's not quite like itty bitty Hellboy stylized, like Balthazar and um, uh, the other guy who works with Balthazar a lot, uh, Franco, Art Balthazar and Franco. And uh, so, yeah, it is it is a little stylized. I, I absolutely love it because if anybody knows uh, Hellboy's, what is it? The right the right red hand of doom, I think is what his big like oversized, like smashing hand is. Mm-hmm. And because he's so small and so young, like the normally the hand is like disproportionately large to his left hand. But because he's so young, it's massively disproportionately large, like the the right red hand is just as big as Hellboy is in this book, uh, and it's it's really funny. Um, I mean, I'll just say this: if you were big into all of the you know monkey fights, um, uh, I mean m- monkey fights, reptilian power plant, nuclear power plant um, that everybody got into recently, <laughs> I think you'll probably appreciate this book because it's very much like. They end up shipwrecked on this island, which has like gigantic crabs, which are fighting uh, giant gorillas, as well as appear to be like velociraptors. And then there's this like religious fundamentalist guy who believes that Hellboy is an abomination who will bring about the apocalypse, which technically, if you read other parts of Hellboy, it may or may not be true. So the guy's not totally wrong. Right. But he keeps (laughs) but he keeps trying to kill them and he keeps somehow surviving each and every one of these moments. Like a plane crashes in the ocean. He survives like this giant crab, like tries to drown him. He's he's very determined and it's really hilarious. And I've enjoyed this. <laughs> it does seem a little uh, cash grabby is a strong phrase. I'll say this. It <laughs> seems like Mike Mignola has announced the end of Hellboy about seven different times now. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm never surprised when he's like, oh, I've got one more idea. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's I've read a little bit of Hellboy stuff and it's it's uh is able to do genre comics with that character. So it seems like there's always some place to go, whether it's not, you know, an overarching narrative for the character that you can always do, you know, a big kaiju battle like this with that character. You know what I mean? There's always money in yeah. the, in the Hellboy banana stand, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you went there. No, it is. It is. I, I do feel like Mike Mignola has always at least, tried to convincingly take things in a different direction or an interesting direction rather than like what else is left on the bottom of the barrel that like maybe people aren't really up for. Uh, The other thing I will just rather briefly say, because I think some people were like, they want my take on this. I will try to give the truncated version. I did read alien number one from Marvel (laughs) alien number two does come out next week. Salvador La Roca's artwork, I absolutely hate it. I do not know why it was on this book. It, um, I don't want to put these words in my mouth. Other people on Twitter have alleged that it is a lot of photoshops mm-hmm. of figurines and toys. I am not a Photoshop master. I am not an artist. I will not say anything more beyond that but that is what <laughs> okay. a lot of people are saying uh so ircb is out here spreading hearsay apparently yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh the, the a lot podcast. of people seem very frustrated with it yeah i will leave it at that <laughs> that that said the story is actually pretty good i think cinco will say the same 
Okay. Thank you for the update, Nick. I know everyone was dying to hear your thoughts. Uh, so yeah, yeah. we appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, as for me, um, I'm doing pretty well. I'm fully vaccinated as of last week. So in, in another week or so, uh, we can start making out. Right. Um, Paul, don't make this about yourself, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's exciting news, Nick. It's a glimmer of hope. Yeah, no, I just... uh, uh, Especially here in Michigan where things are, uh, you know, uh, not looking so great right now. But we don't need to get into that. We'll keep it positive. Um, In other news... No, let's just go negative. Let's just... (laughs) No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> we try to keep it positive here it's a it's a it's a safe place for uh for that i think that being said um i read some comics this week obviously that i want to talk about uh maybe not the most uplifting stuff uh one was department of truth number seven uh written by james tinney in the fourth art by tyler boss on this issue uh colors by roman titoff and letters by aditya bideker um, I'm really enjoying this series. It was fun to get a different artist on it. And Tyler Boss's artwork is radically different <laughs> from the main artist, Martin Simmons, if you're familiar with either of their artwork. Uh, Tyler Boss, of course, is best known probably for four kids walk into a bank. So you know that kind of art style. And it really fits oh, this I really issue. Like that. Yeah, and it, it, it it's so unique and different from the main artwork. Uh, it really stands out. And it works because this is a flashback issue. It's set in the 1960s. So uh, Boss's artwork does have that sort of classic, simple comic book style. This issue was all about um, a young kid, a teenager named Doc Hines, who is investigating UFO sightings and the men in black, not the ones you're thinking of, different men in in black suits um, that are investigating these UFO sightings. This teenager actually makes a zine about it. And the artwork includes recreations of the zine itself. It's a really cool looking issue. And I'm glad that Tinian is taking these types of little one and done stories to flesh out the backstory of this series. Um, again, I, I, I'm really loving the series overall. But I, as the larger world of the Department of Truth and the conspiracies that they're investigating grows, it becomes more and more interesting as a series to me. So I... To jump in real quick here, first yeah. of all, from listening to you on and you guys on this show, I am so sold on wanting to read the <laughs> Department of Truth. And volume yeah. one is out um, as of February. But important thing is that you can read the first issue for free online if you go to Image Comics website for okay. the Department of Truth. Yeah. Um, which means that after this recording, the odds that I will be reading the first <laughs> issue of the Department of Truth are very high. And then after that, it does not look like my library has it just yet, but maybe Hoopla okay. will have it. God bless yeah. Hoopla. <laughs> uh, volume one is on Hoopla. Hell yes, yeah. Nick. There you go. It, you, how, you know these things before anyone else, I swear. <laughs> I that, already rented my own copy on Yeah, Hoopla, the so, Hoopla yeah. hookup, as it were. There you go. Yeah. And I think we've hit our, our mandated Hoopla endorsement for this episode. So uh, <laughs> Always. <laughs> another book that I, I think is also on Hoopla, I'll have to double check, uh, I read this week is The Book Tour. That's by Andy Watson. It's an OGN. It's published by Top Shelf Last Fall. And I happened to go to my public library uh, briefly last week, and I saw this and I grabbed it. Um, And it stood out to me because I remember seeing this on a bunch of the sort of best of the year uh, lists from last year. And I can see why. It's a fantastic book. Um, As the title suggests, it is about an author who is on a book tour in an undisclosed location, but it becomes a series of misadventures and misunderstandings, and it becomes a weird sort of Kafka-esque 
examination of bureaucracy. It's darkly funny. I picked up the book and I was going to just read a few pages to get a sense of the tone and I ended up just reading the whole thing in one sitting. It's that kind of comic. Andy Watson's art style is probably best described as New Yorker cartoon. Uh, it's very simple. Okay. Uh, it's a very simple, almost sketchy line style, all black and white. But it's his amazing ability to do expressive gestures and facial expressions with just a couple dots and a couple lines. It's masterful cartooning, that that thing where it looks so simple, and yet as you read it, you realize just how much complexity and thought goes into each panel to make it work. I found this book hilarious. If you have a dry, sort of dark sense of humor, uh, you'll really enjoy this book. As the author is going on the book tour, like everything that could possibly go wrong starts going wrong. But he's attempting to keep his composure, and it has a sort of, you know, British dry humor to that. You know, him trying to pretend that, yeah, it's not a big deal that I'm being uh, dragged into the police station and charged with murder that I didn't commit. As long as I <laughs> stick to my itinerary and finish the book tour, everything would be all right, right? And it's it's that level of just a continuing uh, misfortunes. And like I said, it's, if you're familiar with Franz Kafka's novels, it really reminds me of that style of humor and uh, sort of dark uh, bureaucratic nightmare that he finds himself in. So I really enjoyed this book. Like I said, I, I read it in one sitting. I might go back and read it again to get some of the details and just enjoy it again. It's a fantastic book. And I'm uh, I'm so glad I happened to catch it at the library. And again, I do think it's on Hoopla if you are curious. I am definitely like I uh, put this on my to read list when I think I saw you your rating of it on Goodreads okay. maybe or I saw yeah. you chatting about it. And yeah, that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I definitely think you'll enjoy it, Kate. So uh, yeah, that gets my endorsement uh, for this week, the book tour by Andy Watson. So um, of course, that's not all we're going to discuss. We have books coming out this very week. I believe that's the 14th this Wednesday. So uh, let's talk about books we are excited for. Uh, let's start with you, Nick. Sure. So for me, it, it started out as a three-way tie between Black Hammer Visions, number three, Young Hellboy, number three, and Savage, number three. And then, look, gasp, uh, Nick White once again says, I'm not here to make friends, and then says something. <laughs> look, everyone, I don't really love Chip Zdarsky, um, and I don't think Abraham Slam is the most interesting Black Hammer character. So for me, Black Hammer Visions number three, uh, you know what, Johnny Christmas, who I believe is doing the art, I think he's fantastic. Uh, it's just not the first the number one issue for me this week. That said, again, cannot state this enough. If you haven't read Black Hammer Visions number one by Patton Oswalt, Honestly, it that's a 10 out of 10 issue. It's going to be one of the best issues of this year, hands down. Jeff Johns, number two, one of the worst issues, but that's what happens with an <laughs> anthology. There you go. Um, my, my pick for this week, though, is Savage, number three. Uh, this is from Max Bemis uh, of the band Say Anything Fame. Uh, of course, he's also done other things such as Moon Knight, and I believe he currently is still doing a lot for Marvel. Again, uh, Marvel people, feel free to fill me in. I know next to nothing. Uh, and Nathan Stockman on art, who I believe has been drawing or was drawing uh, Spidey, uh, quite literally Spidey. Um, <laughs> you know, there's 18 different Spider-Man stories. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Again, uh, so, uh, but I'm absolutely shocked to say Savage Number 3 is my pick. 
Uh, for those who, who might remember, Savage Number 1 it was easily one of the worst books I've read this year, especially <laughs> okay. considering that it had to go up against the original Savage run uh, by B. Clay Moore and Louis LaRosa, which anybody who has to follow Louis LaRosa, again, I feel really, really bad. I feel really bad for you. That is not the person you want to have to follow, hands down. Issue 2 was actually really smart really witty. And I think as Bemis starts to be kind of known in the same way that Zadarsky is, which is kind of maybe the problem, uh, as kind of a funny writer, I feel like Bemis has sort of understood that like he's a he needs to be a writer who also happens to have funny moments and not just like lean into the, you know, I'm just gonna be jokes all the time. Um, which I guess maybe somebody wants. Uh not yeah. me. Um so there's there's well-tempered humor here in number two. Um, I thought it was really funny. I thought the art didn't have as many weird sort of jarring panels that felt rushed like the first issue. Um, do you have this villain? His goals are kind of clearly established. The book sort of introduces a character that sort of like meta-evaluates some of the issues that I had with the first issue and sort of makes you go, okay, so the book kind of understands that some of the characters and things in the first issue were a little bit problematic. Um, so I'm actually really interested and really ready for the third issue. And considering that Valiant seems to be striking out a lot within the last year for me, um, I'm genuinely shocked that a Valiant book is actually my pick of the week. It's the first time in a while. So that's me. I was going to say, uh, I just have to say, as someone who recently read uh, the first volume of his Daredevil uh, run, Chip Zdarsky is not just a funny writer. So I just got to get my pitch in there. So if you haven't read his Daredevil run, yeah, turn on that. So yeah. I, I have heard that he started, you know, pivoting away from like sort of the humor oriented kind yeah. of or humor, heavily humor centric things like what Howard yeah. the Duck and yeah. uh, Sex Criminals. And, yeah, yeah. So. He yeah. did a rocket run too. But anyway, um, uh, that, that, that's, that's another discussion for another time. So, uh, yeah. So, when I was looking at what's coming out this week, obviously I'm not currently following issue by issue anything. My comic book reading time is sporadic. And so when it happens, I don't want to read one or two issues because the odds that I will be able to finish it if I don't finish it then are pretty slim. And also library uh, materials do have due dates. So um completely just trade rate uh, reading and trade and especially been on an OGN kick. So when I looked at the what's coming out, I was looking specifically at single like the first issues that are coming out and the one that looked most interesting to me. Now, will I pick this up? Um, eh, maybe depends on how fun <laughs> it actually turns out to be. Okay. But uh, the one that looked the best to me of the single issues, com- first issues coming out was Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries because I am not here for seriousness or sadness or anything like that if I'm picking up a single <laughs> issue. I want light and breezy, easy peasy. So this is written by Ivan Cohen with art by Dario Bruzulia. And it's the first of a 12-issue maxi-series and all ages, um, obviously, <laughs> where Batman discovers that his original purple gloves have gone missing. Gas. Oh, no. <laughs> and so Velma, Shaggy, and Scooby-Doo are traveling back in time to Batman's year one era to solve the case. And so there's like time oh, traveling no. <laughs> and shenanigans and or whatever that noise is that the dog does. <laughs> and there's got to be some Scooby snacks. So... 
if I were to be picking up a single issue, this is the one I'd be grabbing at my shop. Now, is my shop open? I do not believe so. But, <laughs> you know. Well, um, I have to say, I think this sounds fucking awesome. I often have to pick <laughs> yeah, up this right? issue and I go to my shop, which is open. I so, know there's uh, a lot of yeah. Batman Scooby-Doo crossover <laughs> comics out there. This one does sound the most fun to me of like traveling back to the year one era. Yeah. They oh, should yeah. just have Frank Miller write this book. Yes, I would read that. (laughs) And not let him have to keep it all ages and put it out on the black label uh, imprint or whatever that's called. uh, Somebody's going to die. Sorry, Velma. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. As Danny in the chat is saying, uh, Dave Masticelli doing a take on Scooby-Doo would be pretty awesome if we're talking Batman Year One. (laughs) How about you, Paul? Uh, well, I might change my pick actually to. <laughs> I picked the better Batman title. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry. So I also picked a Batman book, uh, Batman the Detective Number One. This is not Batman. This is not Detective Comics. It's Batman colon the Detective. This is a mini series. Totally different. Completely different, right? It's a mini series uh, written by Tom Taylor with art by Andy Kubert and colors by Brad Anderson. Uh, Tom Taylor is kind of becoming a go-to writer for me, especially how surprised I was following the deceased series he was doing at DC. So him doing a Batman book, I'm already going to pick that up. I think Andy Kubert's kind of like one of my underrated Dark Horse favorite Batman artists in recent years. I really like his artwork on Batman titles. So them teaming up to do a Batman book, I'm already sold. Throw in, this book seems to hit one of my favorite specific niche Batman stories is that Batman goes to Europe and Batman's European (laughs) vacation is something I'm always excited for. Uh, So this is him going to Europe uh, to track down a villain named Equilibrium. sounds like he's going to team up with his old friends, Knight and Squire. So this could go either way. It could be a fun team up book, could be a dark uh, Batman detective story. Either way, I'm pretty excited for it. I know that again, in the chat, Danny has also picked this as his pick of the week. So uh, he has good taste. Aren't Knight and Squire dead? Uh, or is knight- that no longer acknowledged as canon? I think it's a new knight and a new squire, Nick. So uh, we'll see. Uh, other people here in the Discord shouted out their picks for the week. Uh, like I said, Danny picked Batman the Detective number one as well. Cinco picks Guardians of the Galaxy number 13. And then Aaron is excited for the Wicked Things trade that's coming out. So uh, all good stuff coming out this week. So um, let's take a quick break before we jump into our main topic for this week, which is, of course, about our Goodreads challenge for 2021. Uh, We'll be back shortly to talk all about that. So before we get to the main topic for this week, I want to give a quick update. We will be doing an IRCB Hangout on Discord on April 17th, around 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Or is it Eastern Daylight Savings Time? I can never keep that straight. Anyway, 8 o'clock on the East Coast, we will be in the IRCB Discord chat on April 17th. So come join us if you if you can. We'd like to uh, hear from everybody. Uh, so... Our topic for this week is all about our 2021 Goodreads Challenge. This is where all of the hosts on RCB and friends of the podcast chose books, and then the challenge is to read them all uh, before the end of the year. 
This is the first time I've done the challenge, so I'm, I'm kind of excited to uh, give a progress update and hear everyone's picks and their thoughts so far on the challenge. I know we're going to try to do a few more episodes like this throughout the year just to uh, highlight the challenge over there at Goodreads. So this conversation, we're going to try our best to keep it spoiler-free talking about these books. That being said, if there's any books you want to go in completely unspoiled, maybe pause the episode, come back once you've read it. But uh, like I said, we'll try our best to keep everything relatively spoiler-free. And I figured the best way to start the conversation would be to kind of go around the table here and we can each give our little elevator pitches for the books we picked for the challenge. And then we can kind of give a progress report of the books we've read and stuff we've enjoyed or not so far this year. So uh, let's start with you, Kate. What was your pick for this year's Goodread Challenge? I picked Tilly Walden's graphic memoir, Spinning. Uh, It came out in 2017 from First Second and won a ton of awards. So I'm sure most listeners have heard of it uh, probably. It won um, the Harvey Award. Well, it was nominated for uh, Book of the Year for the Harveys and Best Children's or Young Adult Book. Uh, Got the Lambda Literary Award nominee for LGBTQ graphic novels and Will Eisner Comic Industry Awards for Best Reality-Based Work and was also nominated for Best Publication for Teens. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's a really, really beautifully done book. memoir uh very coming of age and she is lgbt so that is an aspect of it but it's not like the focus outside of like out of scope of everything else in her life so it's very much just her coming into her own and how figure skating when she was very young and she's a competitive figure skater where she has like practice before school and after school and travel competitions so like pretty intense but not like olympic level um mm-hmm. competitions so how figure skating is at first this like really wonderful escape and sanctuary for her from a school and home life that isn't ideal and some pretty severe bullying that's happening. And she has like a a coach who becomes this sort of parental figure that is warm in a way her own family is not. (laughs) But then as she gets older and they move to Texas, so she has a different coach and different teams It becomes something um, as she grows into herself that becomes more feeling like a trap and suffocating her. And she doesn't really know as a, I think at that point she's in like middle school, trying know how to change anything and how to like what to do with herself other than that. So she's kind of figuring out who she is. And as a part of that in high school, she figures out a love for um, art and Uh, also starts dating her first girlfriend, but of course she's in Texas. And so it is um, pretty fraught and it's just a really well done um, story that the art is Tilly Walden. So the, Mm -hmm. um, I do like it a lot better than her. Her art is beautiful in every single book that I've read of hers. And I've read almost all of them, but um, this is the only one where I thought the writing was, equal in um how fantastic it was the other books by tilly walden that i've read were really the art was gorgeous and you were there for the art you know what i mean like um Mm -hmm. it is very very hard to be just as good of a comics writer as a comics artist and i think having this based in reality and being a memoir i um really really helped um her bring out that um writing and story to the same degree as how gorgeous her art just always is. I'm really excited to read this one. It's, it's on my to read 
probably next on my to read list. I, I think, think you'll I, love it, Paul. Yeah. I mean, it's first second. When's the last time you didn't like the first second <laughs> book? So, yeah, like. exactly. I, I'll have to put a hold on the library, I think, to grab this one. Um, I didn't see it on Hoopla, but um, yeah, I, I love any type of autobiographical comics, coming of age type stuff. Uh, I think there is something unique about the comic book medium where it almost allows you to be more open yeah. with an autobiography. You know, you really are engaging the visual art to express yourself. It almost seems deeper than just writing something out, you know, through prose. Uh, so yeah, this, this sounds completely up my alley. I'm very excited to read it. I think there's an element in any of the visual mediums, so including comics, where when people, you know how you, with a memoir, you're putting your experiences into words and into the frame of a story, but I think the visual medium allows people to not totally have everything in words just yet and to yeah. have a lot leaning on the facial expressions and the color palette mm -hmm. and just the emotive feel of stuff. And I think that is one of the places this memoir really shines is that so much can be just a punch in the gut just from the visuals on the page of just the forlornness and the emptiness in some of the scenes where she's just feeling so isolated and alone and without it having to be put into explicit words of I totally understand what I felt and here is it exactly and so you kind of get to that feeling and sense of confusion and lostness with the character because it's not all spelled out right there yeah. in words the way that I read a lot of memoirs on paper uh, mm -hmm. on paper this is paper too you know what I mean and <laughs> yeah, um yeah prose form and like that is an aspect that they definitely don't have because by nature of the medium they have to spell it all out so <laughs> i thought that worked really well yeah yeah something about the memories are so impressionistic that mm -hmm. be able to express them you know visually rather than through writing is yeah i think it's something special so yeah cool that is definitely next on my list uh and i've i going through the reviews i've seen on goodreads it seems like a lot of people are really connecting with it so yeah cool uh, Nick, what about you? What was your pick for this year? Uh, so my pick was um, Bang, although I guess technically it's Bang, all caps, exclamation point, because <laughs> you have to yell what it, is Nick, your book on. if not a hyper-stylized title? Um, and what is comics if not nitpicky details? Uh, so uh, this is written by Matt Kint. It's uh, Pencils by Wilfredo Torres, Colors by Na Young Kim, and Letters by Nate Picos. For me, this is sort of like Matt Kent's love of pulp and pulp fiction um, and sort of pulp novels sort of in full effect. Uh, for me, it's sort of like a combination of like Dial H meets pop culture action spy stuff. I do think in some ways that part of the reason this book appeals to me and, and maybe it will or won't to other Matt Kent readers for this very reason um, is that I do feel like it is Matt Kent or Matt Kent's editors at Dark Horse, one of the two, um, attempting to distill something that is a little bit um, less uh, esoteric than mm -hmm. than some of Kent's other work. And again, some people really like that stuff and for that reason may not really like this. I do feel like it's slightly more approachable than, say, um, uh, depth or Department H, however you want to again, mm -hmm. wonderful, wonderfully stylized <laughs> title, um, or uh, mind management. Uh, although for me, Department Depth is massively more approachable than mind management. But this is not me trying to give the whole range of <laughs> Matt Kent in terms of approachability. I will just sure. say that this I feel is slightly 
uh, easier to uh, deal with. Um, for me, I really enjoyed that. Matt Kent really loves veering into established genres. Uh, I think especially genres that people maybe consider quote unquote lower art again, quote unquote, not my (laughs) term Um, (laughs) like pulps, uh, like detective hard boiled novels, things like this, throwaway dime novels, things like that. Um, And we've seen him explore this in other works as well. And what I really like about Bang is that you have this story that sort of riffs on everything from, and each issue is sort of its own little riff um, with each one of these characters that you meet that's sort of creating this team of characters. Uh, You have sort of a riff on James Bond. uh, You have a riff on um, John McClane from Die Hard. You have a riff on Knight Rider. There's another character that's sort of like the gather everybody in the house in a British detective story, and we're going to figure out who committed a murder, et cetera, et cetera. So it's sort of like tackling each one of these as its own sort of self-contained narrative. But then there's this uh, through line between all the narratives as you attempt to sort of see these characters come together. And there's sort of a metatextual exploration of the idea of the author as well mm-hmm. yeah there's there's a lot going on here <laughs> for me i i will say this i think your love of this book or dislike of this book will kind of depend on and we're still waiting to see but i thought kint said so that this is strictly only volume one and for me as an establishing volume i think it's great if it's the only volume personally i don't think um, I think it spends so much time setting a foundation that it doesn't do a whole lot else beyond that. Hmm. So, okay, yeah. Um, I read Bang as well, Nick. So it's one of the ones I yeah. read for the challenge. <laughs> sure, uh, got to uh, say it with the exclamation point. Exactly. You have to. Bang. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a different book. It's yeah, completely yeah. different. Um, and I think I've talked about uh, my complicated relationship with Matt Kent uh, on the show before. Um, I prefer his artwork over the books that he just writes. I think the stuff that he's written and drawn is more interesting to me, more engaging because yeah, I like I his agree. visual artwork so much. Completely um, agree. Yeah. His panel work by himself is just, uh, I feel like a lot of times his ability to get the panels he wants out of his work just, <laughs> yeah. you know. But I, I will say yeah. this. Uh, I will say this. Wilfredo Torres is a fantastic artist. I think the book looks really nice. I think his work with Kint, uh, they work well together. So I'm trying to say, like, I, I like the visual style of this book, and it, it's it's interesting. I think that the the metatextual aspect where you have this um, author who's clearly modeled after Philip K. Dick is sort of writing yes. these stories, you know, without giving too much away. He's sort of writing these sort of spy novels. That's an interesting overarching story. My kind of issue is that I understand he's sort of subverting the tropes of a lot of these sort of spy and espionage mystery stories. I just don't particularly find those genres very interesting to begin with. So the tropes kind of fall flat for me, you know, like, uh, Hmm. Interesting. Um, like I, I felt the bond stuff was very heavily like issue one. And then it seemed true. to yeah. ebb as he wanted to do like the, the John McClane character who's always, you know, the guy who obviously, I mean, clearly it's John McClane, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's got the hair, he's always barefoot. They're like, why are you always barefoot? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think, well, I, I think there there's interesting moments, and uh, I would be curious to read a second volume to see where the larger metatextual story goes. 
to me, that yes. was the most interesting aspect. So yeah, I I I gave it a uh, I think a fair rating. I think I'd put it about a three out of five for me. Again, Matt Kint is a, someone I go back and forth on. There was enough interesting stuff in this book to make me pick up uh, a second volume if if it ever ha- appears. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, my pick uh, was a Jaime Hernandez comic. Um, this is actually the first Jaime Hernandez comic uh, story I read, and it made me a lifelong fan. It made me a Love and Rockets fanatic. And it was collected um, under the title God in Science, The Return of the Thai Girls. I read it as it was being serialized in Love and Rockets. And it was my pick because I wanted to make people read Love and Rockets. Uh, <laughs> I'll put it bluntly. Sure. Uh, you know, sure. Uh, it's one of those comics that I think is hard to get into because, again, you have 35 years worth of stories. And Jaime's stories are kind of one long narrative. It's like this very long, ongoing soap opera-esque type story. It can be daunting to get into, but... Like I said, this was the first one I read. It hooked me right away, and it kind of functions as a standalone volume. You do have characters from the Love and Rockets series. Maggie shows up. Penny Century is there. Um, But the overarching story is actually a sort of riff on 60s superhero comics, uh, old sci-fi B-movies. Jaime's love of professional wrestling shines through, and it almost feels like Jaime's just riffing on his love of Kirby and science fiction in this story. And it's, it's a pretty wild ride. It follows a group of uh, older female superheroes who were popular in the sixties, had their own comic book. They come together to uh, find Penny Century, who is a character in Love and Rockets, who's always wanted to be a superhero and finally does it in this story. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but I, I think if you go into this story, just wanting to, see someone riffing on the stuff that they love, it totally works. And by the end, I think you get a better sense of Jaime's storytelling ability and his artwork. And again, for me, he's probably my favorite living cartoonist. I think this book looks amazing. And it's the reason I became a fan is because of this story. So Nick, I know you read this. I'm I'm dying to hear your thoughts. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Sure. So, I mean, literally right out of my notes, it says, um, God, this book is Kirby meets wrestling meets comic book (laughs) culture meets superheroes. Is this what it feels like to have someone totally capable of reading your own thoughts? Yeah. Um, yeah, Paul, I can understand why you're excited because, uh, this is basically like someone, I feel like at some point someone sent you a, a, a chart to fill out about all of your most favorite things. And someone clearly incorporated all of those things into a comic book. So I totally understand why you enjoy this book. It makes <laughs> a lot of sense. For me, I first off, like I find it very one, I find it crazy that this was your introduction to Love and Rockets. <laughs> um but I mean I I think we've all been there with comics where our introductory volume to something, like looking back on it, you're like, wait why why did i read that one first and like not only why did i read that one first but how did i read that one and like keep going like uh like shouldn't that have been a huge barrier right like i always think back on like the first valiant book i read was unity which is like their super team book and like i read that first and that was 
I still don't understand why I did that. <laughs> Same thing here. Like, it seems like for some people, I think that this volume would be a lot to take in. But mm-hmm. I think also if you don't know, oh, Love and Rockets is this massive ongoing series. Oh, character A and character B have had, you know, this long ongoing relationship for years. And, oh, I'm worried that jumping into this volume, I'm missing out on that. Like, if you don't know what you're missing out on, then I suppose it doesn't really become a barrier to entry. Like, Mm -hmm. for me, like, I knew, okay, there's Maggie and whatever. So I sort of had some guideposts to go by. But beyond that, it was very much like, here are these wild characters. And, um, yeah, it's very Kirby. And Jaime's (laughs) storytelling seems to have a very improv rule number one like yes and mentality Mm -hmm. to it where it's like Mm -hmm. well this wild thing is happening but also this wild thing is happening (laughs) also this wild thing is happening i felt a real omac vibe at a lot of points in this book sure there's definitely like especially when you have like the like the uh i don't remember what character it is but you've got like the person who's like broken down into the parts and you have like the talking head and i'm like oh please if this isn't an omac thing then i don't know what is <laughs> right yeah. but and i think what i really loved about it is that most of the characters are pretty nonplussed about all of the wild stuff going on like they seem very chill with galactic level, universe ending level sort of events. Everyone is very much like, well, of course this is happening. Well, you know, what don't you understand about this? I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a lot to follow. I think it's definitely one of those books where in reading it, I already knew that with a second read, I would probably get a lot more out of it just because there's so much going on and so much to juggle. And, you know, you have a, miniaturized space baby wearing a crown and you have people with ray guns that are like molded from like the tree of truth and all of this it's it's i mean i love it because clearly jaime is like look just buckle in because we're gonna go to some wild places (laughs) and i don't really give a fuck about explaining most of it like just go with it yeah. No, I, 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 I enjoyed it. I'm glad. I also wonder, this would be my main question to you. Mm-hmm. If this is someone's introductory volume and they read this, do you think that people who enjoy this will enjoy the rest of Love and Rockets? Or do you feel like this volume in terms of tone, in terms of subject is a little bit of an outlier and people should expect maybe something, I mean, God willing, something a little <laughs> bit more toned down and slowed down. Well, I was, that's a that's a good question. I, th- I think what's interesting about this volume is that again, most of Love and Rockets, Jaime's Love and Rockets stories are about Maggie. It's a slice of life time kind of comics. They're very grounded, but at the same time, there's always the sense that there's something else going on. Like stories like this can happen in that world. You know what I mean? I love that he made superheroes canon within his slice of life universe. Yes. I exactly. think that that's fucking hilarious. And you yeah. know, there there is a point where Maggie and uh, her friend Angel go to a comic book convention and they find issues yep. of the Thai girls. Like, so it's, it's blending fiction and reality, you know, in the story. And I think going that, knowing that going into the rest of Love and Rockets makes Love and Rockets that much more interesting. So if you jump back to the first volume, which is collected under Maggie the Mechanic, you get the early Maggie stories where Maggie is a 
a rocket ship repair person. You know, she's a pro solar mechanic and she goes to the jungle where there's actual dinosaurs and rocket ships. So all that tracks, you know, it all makes sense in Jaime's world that he's created. What, what I know about his uh, writing style, as far as I understand, he doesn't actually script anything out. He just sits down and just draws the story panel by panel. He might have a rough outline of the story where it's going to yeah. go, but he doesn't write out a script before he starts drawing the comic, which explains why the story can go off the rails at times. It's very yes and. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, I love that. And again, I, this book in particular does feel like him indulging his love of Jack Kirby comics and science fiction movies. So it's really fun to see him just kind of cut loose. So, yeah. I, I, I Again, this is the book that made me a fan of his, his artwork especially. But then going back and reading the le- rest of Love and Rockets, I think fleshes out the story in an interesting way. So you can... You can jump in with this volume, but when you go back and read the rest of the stuff, it hits even harder when you come back to it. You know, I mean, I really appreciate at least the fact that Jaime is like, look, this is my book. I can do whatever <laughs> I want. I yeah. can expand my universe however I want. I can let anything happen. Like, clearly, I don't think there was an editor here, and that's totally <laughs> fine. Like, yeah, he's yeah. not. I feel like this is not a... <laughs> this is not a compromised vision like you sometimes have with other people's works. Like I feel yeah. like Jaime got to do everything he wanted to do with this. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, again, he's been doing comics for 35 years. He's a master. I mean, his artwork is just so precise and clean looking. It's just, it's, it's almost like he's just zoned in on like exactly what he wants to do. And there's no second guessing, you know, it's, it's that Kirby thing where you're just producing comics. I mean, uh, Jaime works much slower than Kirby, but you're you're at a point where you're just willing to let your imagination go wherever it goes, and you know readers have been with you on that journey are going to follow you wherever it takes them. So yeah, and I think Kirby was largely the same way with a lot of his own narrative and plotting. Right? He yeah. was just like, let's just go wherever. Like I'm not. This is not. This is not Jonathan Hickman level cork board with string and right. carefully yeah. lining everything out for years at a time. Like yeah. whatever happens happens, which, which is great. Yeah. And I, I think that adds to the enjoyment of the comic. So uh, yeah, if you're, if you're willing to, uh, if you're willing to follow Jaime where he leads you, I think it's a very fun journey to go. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear what other people think about this book once they get to it. So uh, yeah, keep us posted totally. on your reading challenge of progress and let us know what you think of uh, the Thai girls. So those were our picks. I also want to take some time here to maybe quickly point out the books that we've read so far, give a progress update on our, our reading challenge, and then uh, any ones that uh, we might be excited to jump into next. So, Kate, uh, what have you read uh, otherwise on the list that you want to mention? I've read a couple, um, th- three actually. So I read Brian's pick, uh, We Only Find Them When They're Dead, Volume 1 by Al Ewing and Simone DiMio, um, which I thought was fast and fun. I read it on Hoopla and the bright colors look like amazing <laughs> on digital. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really into the like historical vendetta storyline so much. Uh, it didn't really grab me, but I was very there for this giant God thing of like, we're harvesting <laughs> these dead gods that we just find floating in space. And that's what I wanted to know more about and like what they're doing with it and where these people come from and stuff like that. Yeah. I've been reading that in single issues. I've never talked about it on the show before, but yeah, yeah, I, I think um, for me, maybe I should try to read this on Hoopla because I read it in physical single issues, 
And I really like the artwork. I just find it hard to follow sometimes because it is so sort of stylized um, at times. And there are moments where the story jumps between different time periods back and forth. Yeah, it's not done very clearly. Uh, so those are my my reservations. That being said, yeah, the the overarching story about these basically space pirates harvesting dead celestial gods in outer space, I'm a hundred percent there for that. So yeah, uh, I, I I enjoyed the book overall. I'm very curious to see where Al Ewing takes the story uh, in volume two. So yeah, that's one I I have been reading in issues. I should go back and reread in a one or so to speak. But uh, yeah, gets a thumbs thumbs up for me as well. I also checked out East of West Volume 1, uh, which was picked by Patreon supporter Joff, and is that Jonathan Hickman title um, with Nick Dragota and on art, Frank Martin on colors, and Russ Wooten on letters. It came out in 2013, and it kind of feels like it. Um, like, <laughs> I don't love the way that women are drawn in it with, like, some like really significant boob armor going on okay. especially like the female native american character is dressed extremely skimpily and then we get some like unpleasantly upskirt kind of shots that i'm just like oh was there any reason to frame it between her legs come on uh that said this is probably the most likely to read the rest of because i own volume two from a humble bundle and so when i realized that when i grabbed volume one from my uh humble bundle library thing i was like oh well can't stop here uh i purchased it so <laughs> right but it, it felt like kind of a less fun version of pretty deadly to me so that also made me feel like i should go uh reread pretty deadly but my favorite <laughs> I, has been did you read that one too sorry no, no no i was just gonna say i always get those two books confused so you're not alone uh i've read pretty deadly really? but not east of west yeah for some reason i just uh, people do yeah. that okay <laughs> that's one of those things like i, I have not a- heard that before either yeah pretty deadly yeah. is much more fantasy western where okay. east of west is very sci-fi western like east gotcha. of west is more like um oh east the robot west chat west like- world yeah okay gotcha it's, it's also gotcha. kind of got apocalyptic vibes right. i mean <laughs> i don't blame I don't blame Jeff for picking this. I think it's difficult to like, I think Jeff and I even talked about it a little bit. Like I think the first volume of East of West is not the strongest volume. I think it's Hmm. a series that is hard to get into. It is absolutely the most difficult book to ever read in single issues. I made that mistake. It was the (laughs) worst thing I ever did. Yeah. I came back to it years later after Mike, you know, twisted my arm, started reading the series in trade. It's, it is a series that is a real commitment, but if you, and I realize this is what everybody says about TV these days, and I just tell everyone to fuck off. Um, if you really commit to it and you start reading it, like the volumes do get better and better. Okay. Um, yeah, I know it has it's, a huge fan base. Yeah, it's a lot to ask. I think the barrier to entry on this book and the approachability is 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 tough, but for me, I think it's one of my more favorite Hickman books because I feel like, okay. what is it? The Black Monday Murders? Black yeah. Monday? Is yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, like, I feel like this is still Hickman not getting high on his own supply in the way that <laughs> the Black Monday Murders is like, we're going to go really esoteric to a point that like, I'm not even sure Hickman understands that book. Sure. So, okay. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I should keep going. Well, that bodes well for me already having volume two locked and loaded on my tablet. Yeah. My favorite, I know the rest of you guys read too, or at least I saw Nick did, A Gift for a Ghost. And that was Mm -hmm. uh, picked by Mike. And I loved that book. 
Me too. Me too. This is what I read. I, I was really surprised by it. And uh, it's one of the, my favorite ones so far that I've read for the challenge. Yeah, this is written and illustrated by Borja Gonzalez and was originally published in 2018, uh, but we got the English translation in 2020. I, I will let you guys talk more about this because I've talked a bunch, <laughs> but like just just in base summary, the color work and the art and the back and forth between centuries were just like, mm, chef kiss, loved it. Yeah, this is a comic that functions almost on like an esoteric impressionistic level rather than yeah. a strictly narrative one. It puts you in a place and it evokes emotions and feelings from you purely visually, yep. you know? Yeah. The 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 story so to speak is about two parallel uh uh teenage girls, one of which was uh, an aristocrat in I think 1856. The mm-hmm. other one is a, a teenager um trying to start a punk band in 2016. And basically it's almost like their stories are echoing across time. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And, and it's like, I, I'm, I'm being vague because the story is vague and it's better because of that. I think, you know, it's not yeah. a, a strict cohesive narrative, but it just it makes you feel things. And it just visually so striking. I was, I was blown away when I read it. Well, and that was one of the differences I noticed between East of West and A Gift for Ghosts is like both of them had parts where I was lost, but it felt good in A Gift for Ghosts where it's like felt like purposely vague and like kind of floaty where East of West, I kept like flipping back like, crap, was I supposed to know this person? Shoot. It's Hickman, so yes. Yeah, exactly. The answer is always yes. Yes. Yeah. No, I think... I think A Gift for a Ghost is sort of a book that I think it's weird. Like I was going back and forth on this because I think a lot of times when I finish a book, sort of like a big question for me is like, is this something I think I would recommend? Especially is this something I would recommend to new readers or people that are new to comics? Yeah, And I think it sort of looses up. Uh, I don't know. It, it's certainly not pro-centric. That would be an understatement. And it's certainly not coherently narratively driven. But that said, not all comics need to be, and nor do I think this comic was trying to be. If you want a book that is able to invoke very weird, moody, ineffable feelings of melancholy, <laughs> sure, check this book. Check mm-hmm. the box. Check the box three more times if you can. Like It makes you feel things, and then you're like, well, why do I feel this way? And you like reread the page, and you're like... I'm still not sure why I feel this way, <laughs> but I feel this way. And it's yeah. like all of these weird sort of dark moody images of like, you know, singular birds sitting on like iron gates or like people walking alongside the water and you see their image mirrored into the, in the water beneath them. Uh, and just people sort of wandering out into the woods and finding like an ice cream shack in the middle of nowhere with a strangely, strangely Uh aggressive peddler (laughs) of ice cream. Um, It's, it's, uh, there's, I felt like there was a Mignola influence in the artwork, which is, I mean, hands down for me, if you can do that, you're great. Um, But there's also kind of a subversion. Like you have that moment where you have that lizard creature sitting on the beach and it looks so, you know, Mike Mignola ish to me. And I'm like, where is this book going? And then you realize it's just a giant mascot-esque costume. And you're like, okay, like we got some interesting sort of subversion going on here. Mm -hmm. It also sort of feels like you've got characters in this book that are sort of 
I don't know, you can agree or disagree with this, but this is what I thought. Like some of the times they were like, just like talking through one another. Like these characters were giving these little monologues and people were just talking through other people, but not really having conversations with one another. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, and then all of the characters are faceless, which is interesting and also oh. makes it a little bit more difficult to distinguish who is who, but I found it weirdly haunting and beautiful at the same time because of that. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's some lost in translation stuff with some of the dialogue. Because, again, this is translated from I Spanish. I totally English, thought so. this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I felt the same way. But is this that, a book that isn't pro-centric or is this a book that has translation um, editorialization? Right. Um, you know, maybe some hiccups there. Yeah. But, but I mean, just visually, I, I think you're exactly right. There's a strong Mignola vibe to a lot of the artwork especially the colors, the use of the heavy blacks and stuff. So yeah, definitely probably my favorite so far of the, uh, of the uh, challenge picks. So Nick, uh, what else have you read that you can quickly uh, give us an update on? Sure. So before I started reading for the challenge, I had already read uh, KAIT, Kate's Pick, The Old Guard. I'd read Jeff's East of West. I'd read Simon's TMNT Color Classics. And I read most of Danny's pick, but I haven't finished um, his Jean-Paul Leon book yet. <laughs> for the challenge for this week's episode, I read, I'll just briefly go through and then sort of pick some highlights. I read American Elf 1999. That was Kyle D's pick. Cosmonites, that was Cinco's pick. Uh, by Chance of Providence, Kara's Pick, A Gift for a Ghost. We already talked about that. Uh, the Seven Deadly Sins, that was uh, Stingo's Pick. Uh, God and Science, which was uh, yours. Uh, everybody else, if I didn't get to yours, uh, it's not personal. I largely first <laughs> went by What's on CU, so I didn't have to use yeah. Hoopla Borrows. And then I went by What's on Hoopla, so I was only using <laughs> Borrows and not spending sure. money. And then I went, of course, by what I already had on my shelf, but just needed a motivation to get around to it. Uh, beyond that, yep, it was totally personal. And if you were omitted <laughs> at that point, it was definitely a vendetta. No, I'm just kidding. So so that was kind of my logic to the whole thing. Sure. Um, in terms of things that I wanted to sort of go into for a few minutes that I thought maybe we hadn't been discussed yet. Definitely uh, Stingo's Seven Deadly Sins was actually a real pleasant surprise for me. It's written by Z, T-Z-E, I don't know how you say it, Zay, Z, Chun, pencils by Artyom Trakhanov, colors by Gulia Brusco. I'm sure I got all three of those names wrong. <laughs> um, this came out from TKO Comics in 2018. I got this a while ago because TKO books went on sale are absolutely amazing deals on Comixology. I don't understand why they're so cheap. They're fantastic. Uh, I sort of sat on this one for a while because I saw that it was kind of a Western and I was like, I haven't really seen anyone do an interesting riff on a Western in a while. And I was sort of skeptical that this would actually give me something. And basically what you have is a group of death row criminals that are recruited for a suicide mission in Mexico. Yes, if this sounds a lot like The Magnificent Seven already, uh, a little bit, yes. I think there's even seven of them, and I'm not quite sure. I don't remember the number. But basically, it's what if The Magnificent Seven wasn't actually all white dudes, um, Hmm. but actually had a very diverse makeup of different races, different nationalities, uh, different ages, different body types, uh, sexual orientations, et cetera, et cetera. So I think somebody trying to sort of give a more modern um, take on a Western, I guess. That said, it's got heavy inks. It's got a hyper stylized visuals. It reminds me a little bit of Mike Mignola. 
Nick, is this something you look for? Yes. If your art doesn't look like Mike <laughs> Mignola, it's going in the trash. <laughs> but what I think really nailed this book for me was it for a Western, the color palette in this book is so bright. Okay. It's so mm-hmm. bright. It's using blues. It's using oranges, reds, pinks, yellows. It's literally using the whole spectrum, which for a Western, the fact that it's not 17 shades of brown is uh, fantastic. There's some really engaging panel work in this book. I, I was I was thoroughly impressed by this book. Artyom Trakhanov as a penciler should be and needs to be on people's radar. It was one of those moments with this book where I was like, why do these visuals look similar? Why have mm-hmm. I seen this before? And then I realized Artyom Trakhanov had drawn a book called First Knife for Image last year. I think it was last year. Yes, last year. And it is absolutely Stunning. Absolutely stunning. If you haven't read First Knife, I would definitely say look into First Knife as a post-apocalyptic tale that in these days actually is saying something new. So I was totally floored by that book. And I thought this book was a really interesting attempt to not only give a different Western than what we're used to, but also to try to really tackle some of the more harmful and really icky uh, tropes and issues that people have had with the Western genre in the past. Okay. So um, that was one that I would thoroughly recommend. And I would definitely say, check that one out. It is unsurprisingly as a Western, this isn't shocking, but I do need to say it. It is very violent. (laughs) Okay. I know terrifying it's a western (laughs) with guns Uh who would have thought that would happen i guess the other one i would really strongly say something about i'll just briefly say cosmonites that cinco picked Mm -hmm. wonderful book written and illustrated by hannah templer came out from top shelf in 2019 uh i had one of those interesting moments where it's like i've seen this person's art before but where and then i remembered uh, Templar drew the pre-order special variants for the Shadow Man run in 2018. Absolutely <laughs> okay. gorgeous covers. The color work in this book is absolutely stunning. Everything is super bright. It's a very neon 80s look at space. Um, okay. I think that's fantastic. The design work of the ships, of the technology, um, just the general idea of a really lived-in retro futurism world. Um, like everything feels like there's a story behind it that you're not getting, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's the world building here is fantastic, but it's, it's very like, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. You have this girl who's trying to escape this planet to get out of this arranged marriage that her parents have gotten her into. Um, I really don't want to say much more about this book because I think that would really start to verge into spoilers. Okay. But it's definitely sort of retro futurism. You don't even really recognize it's the future until there's like this scene with a billboard that has like 2164 kind of like tucked in the corner. And you're like, oh, wait, what? And then suddenly <clears throat> you realize that the cars, the cars on the road are actually slightly hovering off of the road. Oh, okay. And sort of like, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. And you have this, like this one character and the main character has a skateboard, but again, you realize it's actually sort of a hoverboard again, interesting sort of retro futurism going on there. Okay. Interesting. I'll have to, that, that sounds really interesting. I, I know Hannah Templer's work cause she did the, um, the, uh, adaptation of the glow, the, uh, the show from Netflix. 
She did the cover. You know, that is so funny that you said that because I was about to say, like, I haven't read Glow, but I've seen a lot of the cover work for it. I've seen some of the promo pages, and I was thinking to myself, my goodness, the colors look exactly (laughs) like what I've seen of Glow. Yeah. Now it makes perfect sense. It's the same damn person. Yeah. It's great stuff. So, cool. America, I'll just otherwise say American Elf was probably my biggest surprise. I did not think I was going to like that book. And I absolutely love that book. I know that's always been on my radar as something to read. So I'm glad I finally have an excuse or reason to read it for the challenge. So that's probably going to be very high up on my neck to read next list for the challenge. Yeah, I feel the same way where that one's been on my list for just forever. And now I'm going to actually do it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I've I've always seen it on Comicsology Unlimited, and it's like, oh, here's this book, American Elf. I'm like, and then it's like 1999, and I'm like, why is it called 1999? Like, wh- why do these books all have years attached to them? It, what's going on with this character? Why is it an elf? Like, yeah. <laughs> so I think, uh, and it looks like it's a book for kids. Like, the cover is very, like, brightly drawn. It's kind of a cartoony character. Um, and you're like, is this for children? Uh, let me say this first off. This book is not for kids. This book is 100% not for kids. Okay. 100%. Um, (laughs) he's done a lot of other works following this book that are for children and his art style suits that. Sure. This book is not for children, uh, in terms of the language, in terms of the adult content. Yeah, definitely not. Um, uh, but it's written by James Kolchaka. It's a really interesting experiment because he decides that he's going to draw a two by two grid comic every day of his life. And he keeps mm-hmm. this up for like 14 years. Wow. It's yeah. insane. <laughs> like eventually by the time I got to the end of the book, I think 4% of the first volume was him drawing comics about how hard it is to draw comics every day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I don't blame him because it's wild. He keeps this up and it's just like a two by two strip. And um, it's really interesting because you have this comic that he chooses to sort of represent his day, but it's not like him trying to draw like the full expanse of his day in a comic, right? Like he's not like panel one, I had breakfast panel two, you know, I, I, you know, went out and dropped off my car at the mechanic, Mm -hmm. you know, panel three, I got ready for bed. Like, no, each comic is sort of him giving a little, moment of his day like it's just a little glimpse of like a moment in the day that he thought was important and it's just sort of fascinating to see someone you know going through that like process i guess of like curating their own life where they're like Mm -hmm. this is the moment i want this is the moment i want to portray for this day or this is the one that i think is interesting um and so like literally like one day it's just him like with a game boy playing pokemon and he's like fuck i can't stop playing pokemon and like that's the (laughs) moment he picks for that day like that's it it's not like oh you know i got this award for my cartooning or whatever it's just like i can't stop playing pokemon and there's something charming about that because it it feels like this book isn't being written for like oh i need to impress this editor or oh i need to like represent my life as this impressive important thing right it's like it feels very much like it was something done by him for himself just to show that he could do it and i think that there's something interesting about that anyway 
not to okay. go on forever, but I found <laughs> that massively fascinating. Like even just as an intellectual experiment that someone would go through this with their own life. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. That, I will definitely bump that up on the to read list. So cool. And then uh, um, I I noticed that you have it on the list too. So I'll jump in and say, I also read Kara's pick for the challenge uh, by chance or Providence by Becky Cloonan. Uh, well, she, she wrote and, and, and did the pencils for this. And then, uh, um, I really, really like Becky Cloonan's artwork. I, 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 I like her style. And these, this is a sort of collection of three short stories that she did that are sort of, you know, sort of uh, fantasy adjacent. Dark, you know, I'd sword, say like dark fantasy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sword and sorcery kind of stuff. And it, it's clearly like her artwork fits that type of story so well. Just a beautiful looking book. Um, and then, God, who did the colors on that? I'm blanking on the Lilo name. Ridge. Right, yes. And it looks fantastic. The stories themselves, again, are sort of that esoteric, uh, sort of not narratively driven, but you just kind of get a feeling of, of what's going yes. on. You know, a lot of very yes. implied uh, events or story there. And uh, again, it's a book that when I read it, it just took me to that place. It's evocative of moods. Yeah, again, Clunan's style with the heavy black inks puts you in that world, puts you in a certain mood. It was a really fun book. I actually think I'd read it before, uh, but I kind of forgotten some of the details of it. So to go back and reread it was actually really enjoyable. I really want to re- read that one too. It's really good. It's really good. Good job, Kara. <laughs> well picked. Uh, <laughs> Very moody, very goth. Uh, have an appropriate soundtrack <laughs> when you when you read this one. So, um, and then uh, very briefly, I think we've talked about all the books I've read um, for the challenge so far. The only thing that we didn't get mentioned, I read Batman Creature of the Night, which was picked by a friend of the show, Danny. I read this in issues as it was coming out. Um, there was a big gap between issues because the artist John Paul Leon had some health issues. Um, um, but it was written by Kurt Busick. It's kind of a companion piece to the book that Busick did, uh, previously about Superman, Superman, uh, secret identity in which it's quote unquote, a real world take on the character. So this is him doing that to Batman. It's about a teenager, uh, named Bruce, uh, Wainwright, uh, who's obsessed with Batman and then something happens and then you kind of get a, uh, revenge story based on the character of Batman I really liked it. I think Jean Paul Leon is an amazing artist. It looks beautiful. Um, and again, it's a Batman story that's sort of rooted in reality of what if Batman really existed. And, um, but without feeling sort of dark and gritty, you know what I mean? Like it, it, there's a fantastical element to it. So it's not the sort of uh, Chris Nolan, you know, Batman Begins, Dark Knight vibe of Batman. It's something else. It's Batman through the eyes of a, of a child who identifies with the character, you know? So I really enjoyed it. I'm actually kind of excited to go back and reread it in a one go after reading it in issues as they were coming out. So uh, I definitely recommend that one to bump that one on your list. So if, if, if anything else, like it's, it's Jean-Paul Leon, like yeah. it doesn't matter <laughs> what the, it doesn't matter where the story goes or what it even does. The fact yeah. that it's, it's Jean-Paul Leon is just a, his, his one shot issue of animal man is still, one of my most favorite things. Yeah, just incredible artwork on this stuff. And again, again, I like the idea of approaching Batman less as what if Batman was real? It's like, how does Batman as a character affect someone who's a fan? As a fan myself, you know, what does Batman mean to me? And I think Busick captures that in this story. 
you know so um yeah i don't want to get too deep into it but again that's definitely one i really enjoyed so i think that kind of wraps it up for this episode i know we're running a little bit long xander and mike are gonna be mad that uh we're using up this much tape for this episode so uh i guess i'll wrap it up now Again, if you have any uh, thoughts on these books, be sure to let us know. Update your progress on Goodreads. We appreciate seeing everybody's thoughts on these books. So you can follow us all on Twitter. Nick is over there at Death Star Plans. I'm over there at Oh Hi Polly. And the show is at IRCB Podcast. That's on Instagram and Twitter as well. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. You can join today for exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. You can join now at patreon.com forward slash IRCB podcast. If you haven't already, please rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us spread the word about IRCB. You can also join our IRCB Discord community to chat about comics and more and listen to our episodes live as we record at ircbpodcast.com slash discord. And it would help us a lot if you could tell your friends or your local comic shop about the show as well. Infinity Shred is the best band in the known universe. They also do the music for all of our shows. Uh, Xander is a wizard who edits this show. I don't envy his task editing this episode. Uh, I want to say thank Sorry, you. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I want to say thanks to Mike for letting me fill in the captain's chair for this one. Uh, uh, thanks to Kate and Nick for joining me. Thanks to everyone in the Discord who listened in. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. <laughs>